Let us turn to our Bibles and we'll open the Word of God to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And we'll begin in verse 1 and read all the way to verse 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Amen. May the Lord bless that word to our hearts this evening. And uh, we shall pray. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank thee, O God, for this word that we have just read. Thank you, Lord, for thy holy word, Lord, and the inspired text that you inspired Paul the Apostle to write, and that, Lord, we have here such a, a wonderful cause for praise, to see that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that, Lord, we would be in that same camp as those who mocked him and ridiculed him and nailed him to the cross as those who were enemies rejecting the Holy One of God. And yet, Lord, you still died for us. And Lord, what mercy and grace. It's so amazing, so divine. And Lord, we are in awe of your love towards us. That, Lord, you would shed your, your grace upon us. Thank you, Lord, that we are here tonight, that we can learn to see the Savior, how he is, not just uh, the crucified one, but the resurrected one, the one who has ascended and reigns on high at the right hand of the Father, and the, the one of whom one day every knee shall bow. Lord, we are enthralled by your holiness and your righteousness, and that, Lord, there's no one like thee, that, Lord, you are 
alone, God, and there's none like thee. Lord, help us to worship thee tonight with a thankful heart and to give you the praise. And go before us this week, Lord, in everything we think, say, and do. Lord, may we be uh, examples of uh, those who are called to be salt and light to this darkened world. Lord, help us to be a faithful witness. And Lord, be with our pastor tonight. Help him as he brings the word. We pray that, Lord, you would be with him. Be his strength as he needs help to to preach the word and, and to exalt his voice. Lord, help him, we pray. And Lord, be with us in the pews as we listen. Take away all distractions, Lord. Help us to focus upon thee. And fill our cup, Lord, to overflowing, Lord, that we may be a witness to the end of this age. Lord, help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll turn to our second hymn. It's hymn number two. The beginning of our hymnals, hymn number two. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. It's a wonderful hymn. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing. That's wonderful. Let us stand to sing this song.
this point in our service, can we extend a word of welcome to each one gathered in, uh, to those who are watching and listening online as well. We welcome you, and we trust the Lord's blessing to be upon us as we worship Him and gather around His precious and inerrant Word uh, this evening. Can I thank our brother Alan uh, for leading the service again tonight, and uh, I appreciate it. I've suffered with a bit of a sore throat the last couple of days, and I wasn't too sure this morning whether I would get through preaching or not, but the Lord was good, and uh, we're looking to Him uh, for help uh, this evening. I'm feeling a little better with my voice than I did this morning, and so I'm hoping uh, that that will continue with the Lord's grace. We thank our brother as well uh, for preaching at Langley Lodge Kerhome this afternoon. Uh, I uh, skipped uh, the service and due to being in a Kerhome and having issues with my voice, but we thank him and those who attended and supported uh, that uh, ministry this afternoon. Do you remember the announcements uh, throughout this week? Uh, tomorrow evening at 6 p.m., we have our session meeting, and then 7 p.m., the meeting off the board. Uh, so members of session and deacons, do remember that, please, uh, here in the church. And then on Wednesday, <clears throat> we have our Bible study and prayer meeting in the prayer room and on Zoom at 7.30 p.m., and then on Sunday, uh, the weekly services, uh, we have 9.30, the Sunday school for children and adults, 10.30, the morning worship, uh, 5.30, the prayer meeting, and 6 p.m., our evening gospel service. So do remember uh, the meetings next week as well, and also the Western Canada Family Conference. It's taking place in Williams Lake. It's organized by our congregation as well as uh, the church in Prince George uh, from August the 30th to September the 1st. And uh, there are information leaflets available on the table. Do take one, and we trust uh, that you'll decide to come. The preacher is the Reverend moderator of our denomination, and we're looking forward to a blessed time. I'm not going to announce this every uh, single week, uh, but we trust uh, that everyone is aware of it now, and we urge you and encourage you uh, to, uh, to come and to spend uh, time uh, with us. It's for fellowship between our churches as well, and so uh, there will be other free Presbyterians there from other churches uh, in Western Canada, maybe further afield, I don't know, uh, but certainly the local churches to uh, BC. And so do remember that in the will of God. These are all the announcements and the subject to the Lord's will, and we're going to ask our brother to come and lead the offering hymn, please. Thank you. Offering him will be hymn 61. This is my father's world. Again, we'll remain seated until the offerings are collected and then we'll have a prayer and rise for the rest of the hymn.
heaven, we thank you for the reminder that this is your world and you created us to worship our Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Bless these tithes and this offering, dear God, that it will be used for the furtherance of your kingdom here on earth. And we pray now as, you, as we continue in worship, we pray for your blessing upon the preaching of your word and as well as the listening of your word. Teach us, Lord. May the Holy Spirit be with us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to sing the last stanza. going to turn in the Word of God this evening to 2 Chronicles chapter 25, 2 Chronicles chapter 25, and here in this section of the book of Second Chronicles, we have a record of the kings of Judah. Uh, some of those kings were good, godly men, others not so much. And then we have a king here in Second Chronicles 25 uh, who did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And so on the surface, he looked like he loved the Lord, but inside, internally, there was no perfect heart that had been changed by the Lord. And so these kings contain many lessons for us, and many important lessons, as we will see this evening. But we'll commence reading Second Chronicles chapter 25, the verse 1, and let us hear the Word of God. Amaziah was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Now it came to pass, when the kingdom was established to him, that he slew his servants that had killed the king his father. But he slew not their children, but did as it is written in the law in the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, 
The father shall not die for the children, neither shall the children die for the fathers, but every man shall die for his own sin. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, according to the houses of their fathers, throughout all Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from twenty years old and above, and found them three hundred thousand choice men, able to go forth to war that could handle spear and shield. He hired also one hundred thousand mighty men of valor out of Israel for an hundred talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him, saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Then Amaziah separated them, to wit, the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, to go home again, wherefore their anger was greatly kindled against Judah. And they returned home in great anger. And Amaziah strengthened himself, and led forth his people, and went to the valley of salt, and smote the children of Seir, smote the children of Seir ten thousand. <coughs> Another ten thousand left alive did the children of Judah carry away captive, and brought them unto the top of the rock, and cast them down from the top of the rock, that they all were broken in pieces." But the soldiers of the army which Amaziah sent back, that they should not go with him to battle, fell upon the cities of Judah, from Samaria, even unto Beth Haran, and smote three thousand of them, and took much spoil. Now it came to pass, after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the children of Seir, and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them, and burned incense unto them. Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah, and he sent unto him a prophet, which said unto him, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? And it came to pass, as he talked with him, that the king said unto him, Art thou made of the king's counsel? Forbear, why shouldest thou be smitten? Then the prophet forbear and said, I know that God hath determined to destroy thee, because thou hast done this, and hast not hearkened unto my counsel. Then Amaziah king of Judah took advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, and let us see one another in the face. And Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give thy daughter to my son to wife. And there passed by a wild beast that was in Lebanon, and threw down the thistle. 
Thou sayest, Lo, thou hast smitten the Edomites, and thine heart lifteth thee up to boast. Abide now at home. Why shouldest thou meddle to thine hurt, that thou shouldest fall, even thou and Judah with thee? But Amaziah would not hear, for it came of God that he might deliver them into the hand of their enemies, because they sought after the gods of Eden. So Joash the king of Israel went up, and they saw one another in the face, both he and Amaziah, king of Judah, at Beth Shemesh, which belongeth to Judah. And Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to his tent. And Joash the king of Israel took Amaziah king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, at Beth Shemesh, and brought him to Jerusalem, and brake down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, four hundred cubits. And he took all the gold and the silver, and all the vessels that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, and the treasures of the king's house, the hostages also, and returned to Samaria. And Amaziah the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived after the death of Joash, son of Jehoiahaz, king of Israel, fifteen years. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, first and last, behold, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? Now after that time, now after the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish, but they sent to Lachish after him and slew him there, and they brought him upon horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible truth this evening. Let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord as we come to the preaching of his word tonight. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, we thank Thee this evening for Thy Word and for Thy truth. And we rejoice that we can lift our voices to Thee in praise. And we can come now to consider the message that Thou would have for us. And Father, we pray this evening that Thou would speak to our hearts. And thou would direct us in Thy ways and in Thy Word. And Thou would speak to those who are outside of the kingdom of God. Draw them to Thyself, we pray. And Lord, we pray for thy help spiritually and physically. We think, Father, of the voice. We rejoice in thy help this morning. And we pray that thou would ease the pain tonight and that thou would give much strength again uh, to be able uh, to proclaim thy truth. Lord, bless us. Meet our needs this night and glorify thy name. And we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The history of the British royal family contains many interesting accounts over the centuries. We can recount the life of Queen Elizabeth I, who reigned over a progressing nation, not only religiously and spiritually through the Protestant Reformation, but as a seafaring nation with the defeat of the Spanish Armada and the exploration of the New World. We can think also of the reign of Queen Victoria, or the reign of Her Late Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, 
And we can see the great respect that many attribute to their characters. However, there is always a bad apple, as the saying goes, or a few bad apples. The reign and the actions of King Charles I led to the civil war in the 1640s in England. He was tried and charged for all which treasons and crimes this court doth adjudge that he, the said Charles Stuart, as a tyrant, traitor, murderer, and public enemy to the good people of this nation, shall be put to death by the severing of his head from his body. And King Charles I was executed by the English Parliament in 1649. The actions of his son, his son came to the throne after his other brother, King Charles II, had restored uh, the monarchy. Uh, James II came to the throne, and his actions led to what is known as the Glorious Revolution and the reign of King William III, who came over from Holland. William defeated James at the Battle of the Boyne in 1690, an event still celebrated back in my home country to this day. And so, when we consider just those few accounts, the reigns of the British monarchy are certainly interesting and fascinating history. And the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel were no exception. The history of their reigns is rather like a roller coaster, plenty of ups and downs, and sometimes the odd loop to loop. In the years prior to 2 Corinthians chapter 25, we have here before us the reign of Joash. He reigned from around 836 to 796 BC. He began to reign at the age of seven and reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and the priest Jehoiada was one of his leading advisors. But after his death, he was influenced by the princes and fell into great sin. Jehoiada's son warned him, but Joash was slain. The Lord sent a small army of Syrians and delivered a great host of Judah into their hands. And the king was slain in his own bed as revenge for the death of Jehoiada's son. And so ended his reign. And at the age of 25 then, his son Amaziah came to the throne of Judah. He reigned, as chapter 25 tells us, for 29 years, but his reign mirrored that of his father. He walked in the ways of the Lord to a certain degree, but yet as many do, he started well, but he finished badly. And how often that can be said of us, how often that can be said of our lives, we start well. And even spiritually, we can start well, but often the end does not finish so good. The name Amaziah means the strength of the Lord or strengthened by Jehovah. Yet his name reminds us of the lack of strength he sought from the Lord. The records of the kings and the chronicles of the kings of Judah found in Scripture are historical books, books that deal with the various aspects of royal and prophetic history. However, these records are not merely historical or factual, but being part of the Word of God, they contain many spiritual lessons for us today. And so as we come to Second Chronicles chapter 25, I want us 
uh, to consider very simply, <coughs> very simply, vital lessons from King Amaziah. Vital lessons from King Amaziah. And firstly, I want you to see that we must have a perfect heart and not mere works. We must have a perfect heart and not mere works. Notice what verse 2 says. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. This king did that which was right in the Lord's sight, openly keeping his commandments, openly abiding and adhering and living to the standard that was set by King David. I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 and the verse 3, it says about Solomon, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. But it says he loved the Lord and he walked in the ways of his father. And verse 14, and if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. If we move to chapter 9 and the verse 4, and if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. And we see something in these verses. There are many other verses we could turn to. But we see a fundamental truth <coughs> that we find connected to the king's. And we see very simply that the life of David and the godliness of David and the God-centered reign of David was the standard for these kings. The Word of God tells us they walked or didn't walk in the ways of David. And the Word of God continually refers to David's relationship with God as the standard for the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Acts 13 verse 22 gives us God's review of David. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, <clears throat> a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. John Gill, the commentator, said that David was the one on whom the heart of God was set and who had an interest in his heart's love. And when uh, we think of David, God took great delight and pleasure in him. He had a heart that loved the Lord. He had a heart that while he was not perfect, he had a heart that loved uh, the Lord his God and sought him all the days of his life. He was a man who sought to live and govern as God decreed. We must note he was not a perfect king. He fell into temptation and in lust and in great sin. But the general direction of his life was focused toward the God of Israel. There was that living relationship with the Lord 
that desire to walk in the commandments of the Lord. I want you to turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. And here we have a Psalm of David. (coughs) Psalm that expresses David's heart and David's belief toward the Lord. Truly my soul waiteth upon God. From him, he says, cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He says there, verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And so this psalm teaches us that the focus of David's heart is his God. Tonight, what is the focus of your heart? Is your heart focused upon God? Is it focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your heart like the heart of David, seeking after the Lord, trusting in the Lord, putting the Lord first? Psalm 78 verse 8 speaks about a rebellious generation and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And that is the problem we see today in this generation. There is a generation that has not set their heart aright. And the relationship between them and the God of heaven is not right. They're living in sin. They're living in rebellion. And they're rejecting the God of heaven. Their heart is not aright. Tonight, is your heart not aright? Is your heart not right with God? Is your heart far from Him? It's focused on other things. It's focused upon this world and upon its sin and upon its lust and its iniquity. Maybe you reject the great sins of this world, but there are other things that have your heart and have your desires and have your attention and your affections other than the God of heaven. King Amaziah went about and did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. On the surface, he looked good. But the Lord sees the heart. And his heart was not perfect toward God. And this changes the whole thrust of verse 2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, he was like David. Therefore, he loved the Lord. Therefore, his heart was where it ought to have been. Therefore, he was a godly king. But then this little phrase at the end of verse 2 changes it all. But not with a perfect heart. You see, you can go about all the activities of religion. You can be a good person. You can do that which is right in the sight of the Lord, not perfectly. But yet you can seek to keep God's law and seek to obey Him and live somewhat of a righteous life, but yet your heart is not perfect. Your heart is not perfect. And this verse is showing us that Amaziah's heart is not what it should be. And his heart was not, was not right with God. His actions betray 
what his heart was like. And tonight, does your actions, do your actions betray the darkness, the vileness, and the wickedness of your heart because you know not Christ as Savior? Do your actions betray a heart that is maybe not as close to God as it ought to be? You profess Him and you say you love Him, but there are sins that are hidden away that you want in your life and you want to keep hidden within your life. Sins that affect that relationship between you and God, but on the surface, all looks like a calm scene. It looks good. It looks good. But yet it could be said, your heart is not perfect. There's sin that needs to be dealt with. There's sin that you need to bring before the Lord and repent of. The Lord expects that full devotion from His people. Full devotion, and that reminds us of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is to be the first in our lives. He's to be our first love, our foremost love. And we see that Amaziah was not a king like David. He was more like his father in chapter 24. Some of these kings were the complete opposite to their fathers, yet some were exactly the same. It's a bit like what we have today. There are those who are exactly like their father, and they look like their father, and they talk like their father. And if you knew their father and you just met them and you didn't know who they were, you would think there was some sort of relationship here. But then you get others and you think, how were they ever related? They're so different. But yet this king followed in his father's footsteps. He didn't learn the lesson. And so many of these kings did not learn the lesson that their father taught them. A lesson that sin brings consequences. A lesson that they must love and honor the Lord. But they failed to do so because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Word of God says. And we find King Joash in 2 Kings 14. And it says in verse 3, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David his father. He did according to all things as Joash his father did. Amaziah is in view. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, as yet the people did sacrifice and burnt incense on the high places. And what we have here is he followed the path of his father. And he kept the high places. He said he was off the Lord, but he kept those places of false religion for the people to engage in. And it is possible to follow the Lord with half a heart, but half a heart is not enough. Half a heart does not bring repentance. Half a heart does not bring faith. Half a heart toward God does not bring salvation. It is possible to engage in the work of the Lord and proceed to serve Him with half a heart. Like the church at Ephesus. They did all the right things, but yet their heart was not right with God. He was not first. And what did Christ do? He rebuked them. He rebuked them. Thou was left thy first love. But in 2 Kings 14, which we just read, there was a failure. 
to remove idolatry out of the land. That is familiar. There are many verses by many kings, and this is something they often feel to do, to drive idolatry out of the land. And we see that this king, because he did not have a perfect heart, he failed to deal with sin. And that sin leader came and it destroyed him. It destroyed him. Because what do we find in Second Chronicles 25? He engaged in idolatry himself, but we're jumping ahead of ourselves. But it later destroyed him. He allowed false religion and he allowed false worship to continue. And child of God, sin must always be dealt with. Sin within our lives not to to fester and allowed to grow and allowed to flourish within our lives. We must put it to death as Paul spoke to the Romans. If ye through the Spirit do mortify, do put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. John Owen, the English Puritan, said that the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. And John Owen wrote a book, The Mortification of Sin, The Putting to Death of Sin Within Our Lives. He knew the importance of this and desired the believer to mortify the flesh by the help of the Spirit of God. It ought to be our business all our days to flee sin, but yet we find this man on the surface serving the Lord, in his heart far from God, and he allows sin and idolatry to fester within the land. And as we close this point, we need to make an observation. The kings of Israel who fell into sin influenced and affected the nations fall into sin. Amaziah is an example of that. Zedekiah at the end of this book is also an example. And we have an influence, dear believer, within the church and the workplace and in our families for the gospel. And what does sin do? Not only does it affect us and our hearts and our lives and our relationship with God, but it affects and hinders that influence for the gospel outside of us. Amaziah was content to be half-hearted. The story is told of a Civil War soldier. He was a federal. He arrived many years later back at the scene of a battle, and they asked for someone to take him to the battle site. And the Confederate who showed him that site asked a question. He said, why did after the federals leave, did they set fire to the railway bridge when they retreated? And the other soldier, he says, we have a round of ammunition left. We expected capture. So if the Confederates had pursued, they would have received 10,000 prisoners of war. But they didn't. They had fought well. But they were content to see the enemy walk away. And Amaziah was a bit like that, content to be like his father, content to serve half-heartedly toward God, but 
didn't truly want to pursue that relationship that David had with God. Dear believer, we need to have a real zeal for personal piety, personal godliness, personal godliness. Matthew Henry spoke about this king being cool and indifferent to the cause of Christ. And he says, such is the character of two men. See, in age, he said, they do that which is good, but not with a heart, not with a perfect heart. And what is the Laodicean age? Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, the Lord was not happy and He rebuked this church because they were lukewarm. <coughs> they were lukewarm. It's a little bit like my water tonight. It's not cold like it was this morning. It's not hot like it just came out of the kettle. It's lukewarm. It's in between. And it's not that nice. Uh, but it does, it does uh, help to wet the throat a little bit uh, because it's dry, but it's not nice. On a hot day, 30 degrees outside, do you want a warm drink of water? You want cool, refreshing water. In the cold, you want something that is warm. Lukewarm is really good for nothing. In the church of Laodicea, they were lukewarm. They sided with but they were not fully committed. They were in the middle. And that is what Matthew Henry said of this king. He was like the Laodiceans. And too many today in the church of Christ are like that. Their heart is not right with God perfectly. They are not fully committed to Christ because they still have their own ideas and what they want to do in life. And the cause of Christ is so hard and so difficult and so costly in their imagination. And so they're not fully committed. Oh, tonight, what if your commitment to Christ? Is He your Savior? Is He your King? Is He your Master? Are you merely going through the motions of worship? Or is there a burning flame within your heart for Christ? Samuel Rutherford said, I live no more but Christ liveth in me. I live no more, but Christ liveth in me. If you have a perfect heart toward the Lord tonight, that's the state of your heart. You live no more. Christ lives in you. Christ has saved you and delivered you. And you live for Him because He lives in you. I live no more, but Christ liveth in me. This man <coughs> did not have a perfect heart. But notice here, secondly, that we must separate from all who are not the Lord's. We must separate from all who are not the Lord's. We find that the king had gathered an army together. In verse 6, he hired mercenaries, some men from Israel. But the Lord was not with Israel. And the prophet came with a warning. Matthew Pule, the commentator, said that the Lord is not with Israel. He had forsaken them, and for their sakes will curse their forces. If thou joinest thyself with them. That's what the prophet is saying to King Amaziah, king of Judah. He's aligning with soldiers from Israel. And the prophet is saying, God has forsaken them. And if you go with these men, God will curse your forces. And you'll not have the victory. This expedition against the Edomites, it will fail. It will fail. And what was the prophet telling this king? You're to separate from those who have forsaken the Lord. 
You're to take that step aside from them. Dear believer, we learn tonight that we are to be separate from those who rebel and forsake the Lord. We're certainly not to engage in battle with them. We're not to associate with them and work for the cause of Christ with them. And we find in Ezra chapter 4 uh, this uh, same thing happening. There were those who were the enemies of the work of God. Ezra chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, verse 1, heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the God of Israel. Notice it says adversaries. That word does not mean friend. That means enemy. The enemies heard that the children were building the temple. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us destroy your work because we're the enemy. It's not there. They didn't say that. They said this, Let us build with you. Let us help you. Let us work alongside you. For we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esau Haddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. <coughs> oh, let us help. We're not the enemy. But if they were helping, you can rest assured that the wall wouldn't be built very well. It wouldn't be built very well at all. I remember playing uh, with Lego when I was a child, and I very quickly learned the best way to build a Lego wall is to overlap the bricks. And of course, I had friends who'd come and help, and friends, and we built houses together, and they wanted to help, but they were actually hindering because their brick wall was just, I suppose, the, the brick with the st studs on, the typical Lego brick, and they put them all on top of each other, and so they had a column of these bricks, and that was the wall, and then they did it again, and so the wall, you could just easily knock it down, whereas my wall on my side was, well, built the way the wall should be. And they thought they were helping, but in reality, they were hindering. And that's a bit like what these individuals would have done, only it was deliberate. They came, they wanted to help, but rest assured, they would find mischief. They would cause problems. Their aim was not to help, it was to hinder the work of God. They claimed to worship the same God, but they did not. They did not. And Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, they knew who they were. Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus the king of Persia hath commanded us. The commanded went out. They were working together. Those who loved the Lord and those who were determined to accomplish this task. And then what happened, verse 4, then the people of the hand of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. When they took the stand, the real nature of these adversaries were seen, was seen. They were against the work of God. We're to be separate from those who rebel and forsake the Lord. We're to go about the Lord's cause ourselves with the unity of God's people, those who love His Word and love the gospel and preach the gospel and stand for the doctrines of Scripture. We're not to work alongside those who are against other faiths and other religions and all the ideas we find in society. 
had a bit of a sore throat today. Not once did I think of phoning someone from the Hindu faith or the Catholic faith or some other faith to come and help me out. Why? Because they don't believe what we believe. They don't preach what we preach. They don't hold to the Word of God as we hold to the Word of God. And if we had such an individual coming, well, next week would be preaching just to put it all right. All the error and heresy that would have been presented. There's a necessary separation. And in 2 Corinthians 6, the apostle says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And this separation... The separation the prophet is talking about. The separation Amaziah did. Because he took his stand. Oh, it was a costly stand. He says, but what shall we do with the hundred talents which I have given to the army? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Taking a stand for the Lord is costly. What did the prophet say? The Lord's able to bless you. To give you more than this. Take this stand. You may wonder what might happen or the difficulties and the challenges, but take this stand, God said, and I will bless. And I will bless. There's a necessary separation today, separation from the world, separation from the activities of the world, the sin of the world. <coughs> we can think of the gospel of Christ and churches. We've touched on that already taking a stand for the truth of Scripture. That's what we must do. The purity of the church, the purity of worship. There are issues the world has made controversial. And what does the church do? Instead of standing for what God says, they embrace these things and they support these things. But no matter how much you dress it up, you can't hide the stench of sin. The stench of sin. It's a bit like a pig. It was rolling in the mud. And it's covered in mud and covered in dry mud. And the pig is absolutely filthy. But you take the pig and you put a little dress on the pig and you put, I suppose, you could dress the pig up a little bit. But it still smells like a pig. You've never cleaned it. You just made it look nice. You can't hide the stench of sin. But God gave the victory. He separated. He took the stand and God gave the victory. Surely that is a reason to be fully committed to the Lord. Surely that is a reason to be thankful for what God has done. Trusting Him. How do we build the church of Christ? Matthew 16, the Savior said, I will build my church. Christ builds His church. Many today think we need to incorporate elements of the world into the church and create a buzz, but the Lord tells us what to do. Leave it to Him. Preach, pray, witness. Leave the results to Him. Be faithful. He saves and He moves. How do we build the church of Christ? By separating ourselves from the world. By looking to Christ. By focusing upon Him. By serving Him. By preaching His truth. And then thirdly, we see, and our time is moving on, but very quickly... We must forsake idolatry for our God. We must forsake idolatry for our God. Another lesson to learn from this man's reign. God gave the victory. 
And now it's time to praise Him and rejoice in Him and thank Him for all that He has done. To praise Him for the victory God has delivered and God has kept His word. And we find that verse 14, now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites. Time to praise God that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. I'm reading the right verse. It's a time to praise God. But what do we find? He took the false gods of those he defeated. He brought them back to Judah. And what did he do? He set them up to be his gods. He didn't bring them back to destroy them. He brought them back to worship them. And there we see the great fundamental problem. The fact that on the outside it looks good, but on the inside there is a problem with his heart and his heart toward God. And now we see it coming to the surface. The gods of the children of Seir, he bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. And the anger of the Lord rose up against him. Idolatry. God had delivered And he turns round and worships other gods. Dear believer, God has blessed you, or God has delivered, or God has saved someone you're praying for. And your next action would be to go and bow down to all the false gods of this world. It's ludicrous. Unless your heart was never right with God to begin with. He saw the victory of the Lord, yet he turned. We must forsake idolatry for our God. Oh, you may say, I would, never, I would never bring in the gods of this world into my life and worship them. Gods that we find here. Gods that could not deliver their own people from the hand of the king. Yet the king takes them and he places them in God's place. The God who did give the victory. Oh, you may say, I would never do that. Idolatry is sin. We see that the first and second commandment. But idolatry can take many forms. Anything that affects our walk with God is idolatry. (coughs) And we can think in life of things that can get the grip of us and take our affections away from God and are more important to us than coming to His worship and more important to us than Him. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. Are you guilty tonight of other gods before the God of heaven. Oh, you, that you turn from your sin and trust in Him. Dear believer, have idols crept into your life? Idols crept into your life. Not the kind of idol that you need to take down off the shelf and put out in a box just in case a Christian friend or the pastor happens to see that you have a false idol. It might not be a false idol, but it might be something in your life that you prefer over God. And that's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem in your relationship with God. It's a problem in your service for God. It's a problem in your testimony for God. And it was a problem in Nick King's life. It showed the true nature of his heart. It was not right toward God. 
Oh, dear believer, that we would look at ourselves and make sure that God has the preeminence, that God is first above all else, that our hearts are right with Him. And then we must realize, <coughs> finally, and just very quickly, that sin brings consequences. Sin brings consequences. We have this in the rest of the verse. And just to summarize what we have here, verse 22, Judah was put to the worst before Israel, and they fled every man to his tent. And then we find Joash coming. He broke down the wall at Jerusalem, verse 23. He took all the gold and the silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of God. He took everything. There was a great defeat. Then there was a plot against the king. What do we take from that? Sin has consequences. Sin ends in ruin. Zedekiah was the same. Chapter 23, he didn't listen to the word of God and his reign ended in ruin. It is foolishness to rebel against God. Why? Because as the word says, be sure your sin, <coughs> be sure your sin will find you out. This king's sin found him out. He didn't turn to the Lord. He rebelled. He lost the kingdom, endured difficulty. He himself lost his life, verse 27. Now after the time that Amaziah did turn away from following the Lord, the conspiracy against him. God was no longer his God. He was gone completely. If he was even there in the first place, he was gone completely. His heart was not right at all. And there were consequences. And tonight, if your heart is not right before the Lord, there are consequences. The consequences of sin is death, eternal death. And the Lord Jesus is the only one who can save, the only one who can deliver. Tonight, let us remember the reign of Amaziah. Let us remember that he was only half-hearted about his faith, that he turned in great sin toward the Lord. Despite blessings, he turned away from the Lord. Oh, that you would believe, that you would repent of sin and trust in the Savior, and that the consequences of sin would be dealt with by Christ, that you would enjoy that forgiveness of sin, that salvation that comes from him. Forsake idols. Forsake those things in life that take your heart away from Christ. Live for him. And may the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Going to turn in our hymnals to our closing hymn, the hymn 148. 148, O teach me what it meaneth, that cross uplifted high. 148, and we'll stand to sing, please.
and let us remain standing for prayer. Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy love and grace toward us. We thank Thee for the Savior. We thank Thee for His death for sinners. We rejoice in His glorious resurrection. We look to His coming again. And Father, we pray that we would learn from this King, that we would forsake sin, we would forsake idolatry, we would be separated unto the gospel of Christ, loving Thee with a heart that is true and genuine toward Thee. Lord, move in our midst. Apply Thy word to our hearts. Glorify Thy name. And Father, we pray that Thou would part us with Thy blessing. Be with us this week. Give us opportunities to live and glorify Thee. Remember the session and board meeting tomorrow evening. Bless there, we pray. And in every endeavor we put our hands to. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with all of us. May we pray in Christ's name. Amen.